On this episode, I talk with a Lutheran pastor about making space for tiny homes for people experiencing homelessness, and they're doing this all on their church property. This is Church in Maine. in Maine, the podcast at the intersection of faith and modern life. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Church and Maine is a podcast that looks for God in the midst of issues affecting church and the larger society. You can learn more about the podcast, listen to past episodes, and donate by checking us out at churchandmaine.org or at churchandmain.substack.com. Considering subscribing to the podcast on your uh, favorite podcast app and leave a review. That helps others find this podcast. So, about two years ago, uh, the congregation that I serve uh, was looking to sell its property. Um, I looked in, we were you know, meeting with a realtor and we were looking into selling the property and one idea that came about was selling it to a housing nonprofit, uh, one that would build affordable housing. Our, the church at the time um, still is located in a different suburb, but was located in a suburb. Um, and uh, the Twin Cities is in need, a uh, big need for affordable housing, and especially in suburban areas. Um, we met, we talked a lot. It, it never it ended up never working out because. It would take some time for them to be able to purchase the property, and we actually needed to um, sell the building quickly. Um, but deep down, I really wish that, that we could have made it possible um, because it's something that is is needed. And that is actually one solution to solving the affordable housing and the homelessness crisis. Um, and that is that churches can actually do something about this, and that is, in some cases, selling their property to provide space for housing. There's another church that I'm aware of um, in Minneapolis um, that sold their property um, to uh, yet another housing nonprofit. They are going to actually um, build um, affordable housing there, and they will also, um, the the nonprofit is also going to be creating um, worship space for this congregation. So they will have a, a, a new worship space, one that's a little bit smaller and more kind of right size to where the congregation is at this time. But yet the rest of the, the property is being used to provide homes um, that are, are importantly, that are, are, are so um, needed at this time. So today I'm talking to a pastor of a Lutheran congregation. And yes, if you're following, that's three Lutheran pastors I've been talking to in a row. Um, that is in Roseville, Minnesota, a Twin Cities suburb. And we're going to talk about how his congregation was able to provide homes for people experiencing homelessness by using tiny homes. And we've all seen those tiny homes. And if you've watched HGTV, you know what a tiny home is. 
Uh, Peter Christ is the pastor of Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Roseville. He shares the story of how his congregation um, was able to create a small community of tiny homes that is giving people a place to call home. So, here is my interview with Peter Christ. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Of course. Well, I, I think that what I'd like to do is start off is to learn a little bit about Prince of Peace, um, what the um, congregation is like, and to share with our, our uh, listeners a little bit about Roseville itself. Um, and then also a little bit about you and how long have you been at Roseville? Sure, sure. Yeah, the congregation uh, was founded in 1957 at a time when Roseville was just sort of a, a, a first becoming a suburb of, of the Twin Cities. Uh, it, we really are just a first ring suburb uh, just north of St. Paul. And and um, this was just farmland at the time. And uh, and then, you know, these uh, neighborhoods were developed. And the congregation uh, was founded, the charter members, many of them had had just moved to the area to, you know, build homes um, they were, many of them were, you know, first occupants of the homes that they, that they moved into, raised their families in this community. Uh, the founding pastor really, literally just was dropped here by the ELC mission board. And, um, he just had to go knocking on doors and say, Hey, I'm starting another Lutheran church, you know, the Lutheran church in the area. And first Sunday they had 300 people there, you know, <laughs> it, um, uh, and they, they, uh, they they began worshiping at the Roseville area high school or at the time Alexander Ramsey High School, and then they uh, be, broke ground shortly thereafter on uh, the property that we now occupy, um, which is a beautiful uh, little corner uh, of of Roseville that um, you know was agricultural land and um, uh, and. Um, ultimately, surrounding us remained fairly open space, and the city acquired as uh, city parkland. And so, we're our property is bordered on two full sides uh, by um, by the Roseville Central Park, and uh, we're kind of in unique context in that way. And so, uh, over time, some of our land has been uh, annexed by the city uh, to to create a lake. Um, and and then to, uh, on the north side of our property, uh, the city um, realigned some of the roadways and the railroad right away. And so, um, what we, we used to have about twenty four acres, I guess, when we started. Now we're we're at eight and a half acres uh, is okay. our campus. Um, and we've been I, I, all of this information is fresh to me just because we're in the midst of a, a a big campus planning process, trying to reimagine how our uh, one of our resources. Uh, for the church, our actual property might be put to use to help us live out our mission and vision a little bit more um, firmly. But for many years, the congregation has just been planted here, and, and 
and served this community um, in uh, multiple ways. Always with a fair you know eye out to the community and thinking about how it can support the work and the needs of its neighbors and in any number of um, expressions. Uh, congregation at its largest probably was, um, you know, probably in the neighborhood of twelve to fifteen hundred members. Um, uh, you know, during the boom boom days in, back in the like you know sixties, seventies, and eighties, uh, and um, and you know today it it uh, it's just a sort of a shadow of that. Not in a I you know some people lament that, but that, that's just the reality for the church. Um, we continue to have people of all ages that are participating in our congregation, but the numbers are just quite, you know, significantly less. I have just a couple of remaining charter members. Um, they're, they're, they're in their nineties and, um, and I have a few members who were children. Um, and so technically their charter members, they, they, their parents joined the congregation and, and so they remain in our midst because they're just tied to this place and tied to this community and continue to be fed by uh, by the church. Uh, and so um, there, you know, there's some history here, but it's 66 years of history. And um, I myself came in 2016 and have been serving as a lead pastor here uh, uh, since then. And uh, um, it's just been a gift to kind of get to know this this particular collection of people. Um, my children were already in the school district. Uh, and, um, and so it was a really easy place for me to get plugged into. Um, at the time when I started here, my kids were in high school and, and now they've, they've gone off and, and also gone through college and, uh, but they remain in the twin cities. My wife works in the area. She's in funeral service and, um, and so this still is very much home for us, and um, and it feels uh, like a privilege to be able to kind of serve in the community that's home for me as well. And so um, I may, maybe that orientates me a bit more towards out to the community as well and be wondering how we as a church interact with our neighbors. Um, not long after I started here, um, we became aware of the fact that our parking lot here at the church, given our kind of quiet setting in adjacent to Roseville Central Park, that our parking lot would often serve as a place of refuge for people um, who don't have anywhere to go, but have a vehicle. And so they would park here and you typically, you know, arrive late in the evening, find a quiet corner of our parking lot and spend the night there and then leave usually at first light. Um, and early on, it was difficult to kind of really know how to interact with those people other than to recognize why they were there, to not bother them, you know, uh, to, if we did have a chance to interact with them, to reassure them that we're happy that they're there. Is there anything else we can do for them? Would they like to come inside and use the bathroom or, you know, or something along those lines, but that was sort of the extent of it. But that <clears throat> acknowledgement that our, that our neighborhood was becoming a place where people were seeking refuge in that way has led us in, in some really amazing uh, directions of late. But I would say the, the important thing is, excuse me, recognizing that the, Congregation has always 
held a really important wondering and posture towards its neighbors and wondering mm-hmm. how we can be um, good neighbors in this context, in this setting, while also practicing our faith, while also moving out the callings that we believe God has put before us. And so that has created a, a number of really powerful relationships and partnerships with other area ministry groups, other organizations. And so we have, the congregation has some exercised muscles and muscle memory around how to kind of tend to the community by by working with some dynamic partners in the area. Um, we feed, feed kids and families in the Roseville School District the weekend um, food program that that um, is pretty powerful. Um, we we reach out in, in in a variety of ways to through through a variety of ministry partners. Some, some traditional ones through Lutheran Social Service, through uh, um, senior care, through our partners at Ling Bloomston, um, and and then even more uh, broadly, um, refugee services. Um, and resettlement. We have some community gardens that were created on our property a few years ago to help the Karen refugee population to have place to 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 grow vegetables and to, for their elders to kind of remain connected to their um, the life that they had uh, in their home countries. And so, um, yeah. So that's a bit about the congregation. And um, yeah. So you kind of talked a little bit about the fact that you had people basically who were kind of staying in your parking lot because they mm-hmm. didn't have a place to go what was or what is kind of how would you describe the 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 situation of homelessness in in roseville um, yeah yeah uh, we, we, we as I became more and more aware of how regularly the parking lot was serving in that way, I recognized that I needed to um, learn more um, and figure out, like, is there anything going on around these services? We, we, you know, I always imagine that that's a downtown problem. You know, that's a downtown St. Paul problem, a downtown Minneapolis problem, and not so much a Roseville problem or a situation. Well, I learned that Roseville, um, actually does have a fairly uh, significant uh, homelessness issue. And uh, and a few years back, the Roseville Police Department created a position for a homeless liaison housing navigator, they call it. And when I learned of that, I reached out to her. Um, uh, initially, I had a, a an immediate need because there, we, un, surprisingly, one day we sh- I sh- pull up to the church and we're at the county, we're at the, we're at the intersection, our church sits at the intersection of County Road C and Victoria, which are, you know, a little bit busier thoroughfares for our community. Um, and there's a stop sign at that corner. And at that stop sign, there was a couple that was um, holding up cardboard signs, you know, asking for help, um, which the first time I'd ever seen that happening at that intersection, I've um, I've seen it not too far away at some of the the busier places uh, around our community, but um, it was the first time I'd seen that. And so, of course, I stopped and and reached and and went and interacted with them and 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 gave them some just small assistance initially and tried to learn more about their story. Invited them to come into the church when they had a moment, 
to learn more and see if there was something else we could help them with. And, and in, in, in encountering them, I realized, oh, this is a really good opportunity to try and reach out to the Roseville housing, you know, the homeless uh, advocate or uh, homeless liaison. And, um, and so I, I reached out and made a contact and, and she was very helpful in helping us uh, uh, come up with uh, an understanding with this couple and how uh, what other resources might be available, just just how to tend to them, and and their particular story. But that created a, a relationship between us and the police department with this position, and um, and and that opened up a conversation. And and I said, you know, hey. I've been wondering about our parking lot and how it's being used and, and what, you know, what do you think about that? And she's, she was well aware of that our parking lot was being used in the way that it was. And, um, and she was grateful to learn firsthand that, you know, we were comfortable with it being used in that way and that we were actually seeking to expand or, or just deepen the, the quality of care that we could extend to potential even just occasional visitors and occasional residents or occasional guests of our parking lot to be trying to be helpful. And, and so that just opened up a conversation with her. And then it wasn't too long after that, that she reached, she called me and, and, uh, and that put, and with a phone call that put us on quite a pretty dramatic journey of, 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 as I described, stumbling into a ministry of serving the homeless um, and so I'm, should I launch into that story at this go, point? Go right ahead. Yeah. 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 So, so that, that was, uh, the, an occasion where, um, Carrie is her name, Carrie McCuller. She's the, um, homeless liaison for the city of Roseville. She called me and she just said, Hey, I've got a woman who has been living out of a, an old school bus and she's parked on some other city property right now. And, she, and she's been there for a little while. Uh, um, and she has been really easy to have and to, uh, to, and she hasn't been giving us any trouble. And so we've just sort of been leaving her be, but recently, um, other people have started to, um, move into the same area. So, you know, it's not unusual that homeless encampments unintentionally start to form because they kind of find, you know, it's like, Hey, they've been there a while. That must be an okay place to, to set up, you know, camp. And, um, and the others that were being attracted to that area were not as respectful and not, a, and, and, uh, and creating some trouble. And so the police and the city, you know, leaders decided that they needed to essentially disband that. And, and that would require them also having the, uh, the woman who was living in a school bus relocate. And so Carrie said, is there any chance um, this woman could could appear on your, you know, could, could park her school bus in your, in your parking lot for, you know, for a little while I'm working with her on trying to find another, you know, a, you know, a permanent solution uh, for, for housing. And, you know, and so I, you know, I just knowing that she was working directly with, with the um, police department, she was being vouched for, I said, of course, send her over. Absolutely. You know, there's going to be other people in our parking lot tonight. What's one more vehicle? You know, and so the next day, um, here came school bus, uh, and and just as described, an old school bus with nothing in it. Uh, all the seats had been taken out. Um, no other creature comforts added, um, other than a, a mattress on the floor, 
and um and you know a collection of things and a little bit of other furniture or whatever but nothing you know it's not tricked out like a big old you know cool school bus camper and rv or whatever but um but uh and the, and the woman who uh um brought it here and was living in it her name is valerie and valerie um was grateful to be welcomed and um and we just said you know valerie if you ever need to come inside you know during the day when we've got our offices open and our our staff are here you're welcome to come inside and use the bathroom um and <clears throat> power up your phone and you know things like that and which you know gradually over the next few days she started to kind of come inside and get and and we learn little bits and pieces of her story and but she was just very pleasant and very uh, non-threatening and very easy to to have around and and clearly you know she's got a story and um and you know there's there's a reason that she's been living the way that she has um <clears throat> but she was very easy to have and it was the middle of the summer um and she was quite content and eventually Within about a week, we actually had her park in sort of a, a, a quieter kind of corner of our property that had access and pavement, but was really um, sort of isol a little more just away from the church and very pleasant under a couple of big oak trees. And and she had just a beautiful spot. And and um, and I could see right away a transformation happening that um, sort of I was surprised you know surprised by, but Valerie just you could see a weight being lifted off of her shoulders. And I remember a conversation with her not long after she, she kind of settled into that new location, mm -hmm. just greeting her one morning and just recognizing that she was, you know, I could tell she was in a good mood and in a good place. And I just said, wow, this has really been trans. You know, I, I can see a transformation happening with you. And we started talking and I realized that, you know, for the time that she's been with us, she's been able to wake up every morning with the confidence to know that no one was going to come along that day and say, you're going to have to move. You know, you need to go find another place to be. Um, that just, just that simply that her, she and her vehicle could be there and not have to leave and not have to go anywhere. We weren't going to hassle her or, or do anything to compromise that day's um, and, and for the foreseeable future. And that enabled her to start <clears throat> One, to just feel better physically and to not be carrying that burden, but to also start to do some of the basic things of reconnecting with some of the social services that she'd plugged into, reconnecting with some of her caregivers in, in, in some in, in a variety of ways, some of her, her broader network of people that she knew, um, because she had the capacity to just do that now. And she wasn't worried about the minutia of a day-to-day -day existence in, in that way. And that was a gift. The other thing that happened shortly after her joining us was she introduced us to uh, um, some folks that uh, were, were a part of, and the, the kind of primary visionaries for an organization called settled, which was actively uh, established to work with and, and find a housing solution for the chronically homeless. And they had already been for a number of years working and doing a fair amount of street outreach uh, in St. Paul. And it was in that regard that Valerie got connected with them. And, and so, um, 
And what, what we learned very quickly was that Settled was in the process of establishing their first kind of prototype community of tiny homes in partnership with a faith community. <clears throat> so they've established, and this is in last, uh, summer of 22, um, they were they were finishing up the placement of six tiny homes on a one-acre parcel of land that was adjacent to part of the campus of a small Church of the Nazarene called Mosaic Christian Community on Wheelock Parkway in St. Paul. And those six tiny homes were going to be regulated by the city of St. Paul temporarily uh, as a an RV campground. That was the kind of body of codes and 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 law that they they found a pathway to kind of allow this thing. And so these six tiny homes would sit on, uh, and they're they're. They're, each of them is licensed and titled as an RV, and they meet some RV standards. Um, but they are just a little, you know, set apart from a church building that um, the church houses what's called a common house. And within the church, there's an area that has uh, a communal kitchen, uh, dining area, living space, kind of a living, relaxing area. And then there are bathroom uh, and shower facilities and laundry facilities inside the church. The homes, the tiny homes themselves, are equipped with dry or compostable toilets. Um, but most of and and then they have a little bit of a kitchenette area, but they're not hooked up to plumbing, uh, water, or sewer services. They just have electricity. Mm -hmm. um, they're heated with electric heat. They do have a sink and a little. A basin that, um, or you know, a jug with water that you can, you know, have water. You and you could have a little hot plate and you know, brew a cup of tea or a microwave. You could do a little bit of food preparation in your, you know, but most of the residents do that in the common house um, and take advantage of sort of those common spaces. Big refrigerator in there to keep food and and, and a pantry and dishes and all that stuff is, are inside the common house. Um, and, and, and so it was really exciting to see, I, I was invited to go over and check out this, this place and Valerie, you know, showed it off to me. And she said, this is, this is what I'm, I'm want, this is what I'm waiting for. Hmm. Um, and, and she was not one of the first six residents identified to live in this prototype community. And they're, they're space limited. That, that was the most houses they could put on their property. Um, so she was sort of next on the list. Um, and uh, and waiting for another community to get established somewhere. And so she just sort of, that was kind of her vision for what she was waiting for in, in her life. She wanted to live in this communal model. One of the things that we've learned in our, our, our stumbling into this homeless ministry is that, that people are homeless for lots of different reasons. Um, and they're not monolithic in any way, the homeless aren't. But um, there is some commonality that is important to understand, and that that for the chronically homeless, those who continually uh, uh, may get different resources and 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 provided in different kinds of housing solutions, but they eventually always sort of fall back out of it and land back into homelessness, where they're on their own outside. For those people, the the real common thread is a is a is a is a historical kind of and and 
tragic loss of the com- community of support in their lives. For most of us, that means our family, right? Mm-hmm. That w- if you and I have a difficulty and we were to experience difficulty in our life, we had a catastrophic illness, job loss, um, an addiction, um, uh, a mental health crisis, likely the support that we would need in that time would come from family. Um, mm-hmm. Likely it would be, you know, around us. The chronically homeless are severed from that. Now it might've been because of the, you know, like an addiction or it might be some of that mental health stuff and they've just exhausted their natural support networks <clears throat> to a point where they're disconnected from them. Or often is the case, those, those typical places of support, family, uh, close friend networks, those are also the source of trauma in their lives. So maybe they, they're victims of abuse or neglect. Um, and, and so those plate, those, sources of support are not in their lives and they and they don't have a community uh and relational uh, and relationships that can help them in these times or they've been severed so what what settled has created and has looked at and studied uh is to how to build community using the resources of the church uh, of faith communities that are so already oriented in relational ways and already exist as community to think about expanding the our understanding of what that might be to also incorporate a residential component to that for people who need community in their life. We all do. I mean, we all need it. We may not all benefit in the same way that the homeless might because of its therapeutic qualities related to, because we have natural other communities in our lives. I still have my family intact. You know, they're, they're still prepared to, to um, give me joy and love and, uh, and acceptance in ways that the chronically homeless just don't have in that regular way in their life. So it's a, it's a really powerful model uh we we believe that we got excited about and, and decided to to listen deeply to. So I set up a meeting with the 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 team from Settled with the hopes of um talking to them about, well, maybe this is something we should look more closely at is becoming the site of an uh, uh, and do what Mosaic has done in St. Paul. And um Gabriel Claudus, the founder of Settled, was eager to meet with me. But it turns out not to necessarily talk to me about becoming the site of a sacred settlement, but she just wanted to talk about Valerie. She wanted, mm-hmm. um, because she cared about Valerie too. She already had a relationship with her and, um, and, and winter was coming. And we all knew that that school bus was not going to be an appropriate place for her to live in the winter, especially, you know, just outside a church that's heated uh, you know, 24 seven, it's not a residence, but it's, you know, it's better than a school bus, it's better right? than a school bus in a cold yeah. Minnesota winter. Exactly. And so, um, so she said, but I've got an idea for you. The, the, when Roseville called you and said, can this woman with her RV come and park into your property? And you said, yes. Um, you you kind of got permission to have an RV on your property with someone living in it, right? Like that was sort of the, you know, understanding. How about we give you a better RV? How about we give you a tiny house for Valerie to live in for the winter? And I thought, well, duh, that seems like a no brainer. 
said, yes, yeah, absolutely. And then Gabriel said, actually, we want to give you two homes uh, because there's more to this story. And I was aware of this, but the model of the tiny homes is that some portion of the homes are actually occupied. Not all of them are occupied by uh, people who are formerly chronically homeless, but um, a portion of them are occupied by people who are intentionally choosing to live in community alongside formerly homeless neighbors. And at Mosaic, two of the six homes are occupied by what are called intentional neighbors or missional neighbors who um, aren't coming out of homelessness, but are making a conscious decision to sort of simplify their lives and make a commitment to live in community with the, with the homeless. And, um, and so Gabriel, and that made sense to me uh, in a, in a big way. Um, And, and Gabriel said, we'd like to give you a home for value, but we want to give you a second home because we also have uh, some intentional neighbors that are prepared to take this step as well. Would you host two, two homes on your, on your property? And I thought, I would like to say yes. However, this is getting to be a bit bigger deal. Maybe not just the pastor should be making this decision. You know, let's, let me, let me, let me bring this to a, a broader um, base of the leadership of the church and just check in and make sure we're not getting too far. And so we did. And and we, we, I brought it to my, my executive committee who were eager to support, but they also said, let's, let's broaden this conversation and let's invite some other stakeholders into this. Ultimately, we had a, a variety of community conversations around it and our council, which is elected by our congregation to, to, to lead and make the decisions of the kind of business of the church, they agreed to commit to what we called at the time an interim sacred settlement, meaning we were going to host these two homes, accept these two homes, and Valerie and an an intentional, what proved to be a family of three, husband and wife and their 10-year-old daughter at the time, to live in community with us. Uh, We would uh, renovate a small unused classroom to become of the common house uh, that was convenient to one of the entrances of our building. Uh, and, the, and, and there would be bathroom access. And then we have showers already here at the church. And so um, we had that piece. We didn't have the laundry part figured out, um, but um, but there's a laundromat real close by. And so um, we've, we kind of sorted that out as well. And, um, and th- that, and our commitment to doing this as an interim would be that we would also do the deeper discernment as a whole congregation on if we would want to do this permanently over the course of um, the coming months uh, over this past year. And uh, and so uh, just over a year ago, th- those two homes were delivered to the church and we prepared them uh, for occup- uh, occupancy and got our t- common house ready to go. Um, the two homes we received, one of them was built by Trinity Lutheran Church in Stillwater, and the other was built by Lord of Life Lutheran up in Maple Grove. And th- some teams of, of people from both of those churches came and helped us prepare our common house and prepare the sites and get, get them ready uh, to welcome Valerie and uh, the Barry family to um, occupy the uh, our our interim sacred settlement. So one quick question about the homes yeah, themselves. Jump in there. Just is that they aren't what we would think of as homes, 
or I mean, they are, but they're, you had talked about RVs and yep. that, um, yep. so can you kind of describe what kind of tiny homes they are? Yeah. So the, the homes are truly built like a home. I mean, they're, they're, you know, two by six wall construction. They're over insulated uh, for a good Minnesota winters. They have um, solid roofing on them. They're built with home building materials. They're just 190 square feet on a, on a trailer uh, on a, well, you know, firmly planted on a trailer. That trailer then is anchored to the ground. Okay. It's not on a foundation, but it's on kind of four pews that are are drilled down into the into the earth and then sitting on some metal I-beams that are that are uh, attached to the home. So there's uh, and that meets a particular code requirement. Um but uh but so you walk into the homes and you're you know when I say RV I'm thinking of a thin-walled vehicle, and and these are it's like walking into a small house. It has a full-sized, you know, residential door on it. The windows are just like you'd find in your house. The finishes inside are very home-like. Um, there's it's a drywall interior, um, uh, painted drywall, and uh, there there's a loft there on either end, and there's you know the homes themselves are primarily bedroom and personal space there there is a you know small little seating area uh you could entertain one or two guests uh in in your little home for a period of time um you know the and then there's closet and storage space and then there is a space that you could imagine being like a little bathroom but our homes only just have a little dryer composting toilet in them because our residents primarily come inside to the church for that. And that's really just an emergency in the middle of the night. Oh, it's cold. I don't want to run into the church. And it's, it's the kind of thing that the next day that then they would wrap up and, and, uh, um, and refresh their little commode uh, to be used again some, the next time kind of a thing. And, um, and that meets the standards of, uh, uh, of the, of the codes However, it didn't quite meet the standards for Roseville city codes. And so um, it, not long after our homes were in sight and our residents had moved in, um, we, we were notified by the city of Roseville that they wanted to talk to us about, about what we were up to. And, and the good news is um, that also active at that same time was, and Settled had previously been working towards this, getting some legislation at the state level to move through the state legislature that specifically codifies the 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 elements of a sacred settlement uh, that tiny homes in this way partnered on on land that is owned by churches in partnership with those churches and those worshiping faith communities that that this is an allowable exercise and that supersedes any municipal code as long as it meets the standards of the legislation which spells out um what what safety standards need to be met what other kind of specific things which are arguably yes more relaxed than what the city would allow typically but um given that we're the whole purpose of this is to work with a population that's chronically homeless that you can't you can't do this unless you're serving the chronically homeless and there's a standard in the definition of what that means um, and so it's not like every church can just now have a bunch of tiny houses and, and rent them to whoever they want. No, you have to, it has to be directed, a service directed to the chronically homeless. 
um, remembering that a portion of the homes up to and no more than 40%, no less than 30% of the homes have to be occupied by intentional neighbors. And so people who are prepared to live alongside the chronically homeless uh, and be that first ring of support and and care um, in within that community, just be good neighbors to them in the community. Uh, and so we've spent a year with our two homes. Now the legislation was adopted last spring, and we are anticipating, uh, and it will become uh, a law, or it's already law, but it, it becomes active on January 1st. And um, and in order for us to be in compliance with the law, we actually have to add a third home because right now we have 50% of our homes occupied by intentional neighbors and only uh, 50% occupied by a formerly homeless person. So by adding a, a third home, we now will have two thirds homeless and uh, formerly homeless and one third intentional neighbor, which um, is exciting for us because we're we're now developing the process. Like, how do we decide and find uh, the right person to move into this community, move into this community with us. Um, and then what we're doing now is helping to set the stage for potential future growth and development. We, we, we certainly, it's in our imagination that some point down the road, we, we would have additional homes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we believe that our current infrastructure, the, t- the common house space that we've renovated uh, and the interior work that we've done here inside the church will accommodate this third home pretty easily. Uh, future growth would probably require us to do some additional renovation and think about expanding some of that common house space uh, to just to, to to make it feasible as the community would grow. Um, and so, um, and, you know, lots of wondering about what's the right size and how many, you know, we're just sort of taking it one step at a time at this point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and doing things like this, telling this story to as many people as we can, because we know there are other churches out there that have land, uh, the resource of land, and maybe corners of unused facility that could be accommodating this very, very same thing. And giving us as a community of faith the chance to live out our callings, to um, to love and serve our neighbors, to welcome the homeless, to welcome the stranger, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, just as God has called us to do, um, we're... We're, we feel blessed that we have a really tangible way of living out that uh, that command um, and God's charge for us in this way. So. so what is it meant for the congregation as they got involved and um, I'm assuming got to know Valerie? What How has it impacted the congregation and even spurred them to to continue to continue to welcome others? Yeah. I, I continue to say this is just transformational. Um, I mentioned earlier that it was really easy to see the transformation happening in Valerie. Um, and especially as she sort of has hit each of the milestones, that early milestone of just being here with us, knowing she didn't have to leave and move her tiny bu- her, her bus uh, somewhere else. I could see transformation. Then when we made the commitment to say, yeah, we're going to welcome you into it. We're going to bring a home here for you to live in this winter. Another point of transformation. And then every step of the way, it's just been phenomenal to watch that and and very joyful. And then welcoming our, our intentional neighbors to see that family being able to live out uh, a calling that they felt deeply um, uh, about and to see them to get to live into that promise 
uh, and to live their faith in that way. Wow. It's just been wonderful, but it doesn't stop there. The transformation that's been happening at the church on the other, you know, on our side of the equation is, is, you know, unbelievable. Personally, wow. You know, Mm. if you asked me um, five years ago that I'd be in a homeless ministry, I would have thought, you know, that's crazy. I that, I don't feel gifted and served to serve in that way. Um, you know, I, I I'm pastor to a you know fairly strongly middle class, not all that unaffluent. Um, uh, you know, community of believers here, very solid. Um, you know, it, it's a blessing to be in this call because it's stable and the church is healthy and all of these things. And I don't have a background in social service, and I don't have. Um, uh, any, any, you know, beyond just my own personal faith and, you know, love of, of others, um, didn't feel particularly called to serve the homeless in, in our, mm-hmm. in our midst, but that's who was here. That's who God kept sending to our parking lot. And that's, that, that was the ministry that needed to happen. And so I was w- very open to seeing where God was going to lead us through, through all of this. And, and here, here we are. So I've experienced transformation without a doubt. But the congregation, it, it, individuals as a collective, the, we're being transformed in this process. Without a doubt, there are people in our community who are still very much at the edges, sort of looking, you know, uh, uh, still a little trepidatious, um, you know, still a little fearful, not certain that this is what we should be doing. But many people have taken a few steps forward and have leaned into this opportunity, uh, and some have really jumped in with with me and with with uh, with our leadership team to really embrace this. And I'll tell you, those who have taken the, the bigger steps, they're being transformed. I mean, just to see their hearts opening up and uh, to see the way that that they're viewing the, this this opportunity uh, and. And the beauty that's that's developing as a result, uh, it's just powerful. And and consequently, the people, you know, the, those who are, are further back, they kind of get drawn in along too because they they see what's happening and they just they 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 get more curious. Um, just just this. interest in what we're doing to come alongside and um take in, and and to just come and do some share a meal and and do some storytelling uh, uh once a month um and then if people are curious and want to learn more it's been a great place for for just outsiders to just say i want to learn more and inside well come to our community dinner you meet some of the key people and you'll hear some of the stories and you'll learn more and you'll you'll see and interact and that's just been that grows every month. There's just been more and more people showing up for that, which has been wonderful. And uh, and again, we're getting a chance to tell this story, and uh, and things are exciting right now because we we're, we have a third home on site. Um, it arrived a couple of weeks ago, and we're preparing it uh, to be occupied. Our commitment is to wait until January first, um, when the law specifically and our our we have our temporary permit from the city that only allows us the occupancy of two homes right now. And um, that expires at the, on the 31st. And so the, the legislation takes place, assuming we have all of our ducks in a row, we can, we can take occupancy 
um, and can certify that we meet all of the standards that the law requires, mm-hmm. we can welcome a, a new uh, resident or a couple to our community. And um, and we're we're eager to to identify who that is soon, just so we can start making specific plans and that kind of thing. So, yeah. And the what third home that we just received was actually gifted to us uh, and to settled uh, by a, they were they, it was gifted by a company called Abtech, and uh, and they just built this home as sort of a staff project. And then looked for a place to donate it, and and they connected with settled, and ultimately it's gonna, it landed here with us. Um, and because it's just slightly larger than the two existing homes we have, and it has a little more height, interior height, and so the loft part is a little bit taller and a little bit more comfortable. Um, we're gonna move the our family of three intentional neighbors into the little bit larger house, mm-hmm. and then quickly rehab the home that they've been living in. Uh, to welcome and so but we've got this little um little community and uh the homes just sit about uh oh 30 yards from the the door to the church and their common house and um just across our parking lot and uh they have a beautiful view of the lake and uh and the beautiful green spaces that surround us and and in this setting on the uh on the hill in this corner of Roseville Central Park Here's this emerging um, community uh, for folks who uh, have been previously homeless. The property values in this area would never, never allow um, for someone with no means to be able to live here, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just, it's, it, it's, you know. But because we're a church, because this is our land, and this is this, we can use this this resource in this way. It's just a beautiful um, uh, example of how how. God's kingdom can can be, come to fruition. Uh, we deeply believe that God's vision for the world is being lived out in this way, uh, and 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 it feels like such a blessing that we get to be uh, participants in that, uh, and and see it happening in real time. So, if you I were or someone is the a pastor or a member of a, of a church that's listening to this, and they hear this and they think this is really cool, we have a kind of a, a large property that we're not using all of it like we used to. Um, how would you suggest they get involved or do, or do something either maybe a similar, but some, or something to help in some ways yeah. with dealing yeah. with homelessness? Yeah. Um, great question. And, um, uh, and obviously I don't know that any other church would quite get into it quite the same way we did just sort of stumbling in it. But if there are churches out there that do already do serve a homeless population, this might be a way to kind of build on any existing ministry that you might have. You may not have considered um, that the land itself around your church might be appropriate place to place a tiny home. Cause you know, we don't think of housing in this context in this way. Typically, this is not an apartment building that we have to build and maintain. This is just some fairly simple, well-built homes, but um, but then leveraging the interior spaces of the church as well. Um, for churches that uh, maybe don't have an experience with homelessness, I would encourage you to reach out to um, our partners at Settled. 
Um, and their website's really beautiful and tells the story really well, settled.org. And, or you can go on our website, which is poproseville.org. And we've got that, our story, uh, and pretty well chronicled there. And there are some videos to, to watch and, uh, a variety of things to, to, to learn about. Reach out to me, um, or the church here at, at Prince of Peace in and again, you can find my contact information on our website, poproseville.org. And, um, and I'd be happy to, to visit with anybody or if somebody wants to, if you want to come and visit us, um, just call and, and, uh, and schedule a time. Um, and we, we're, we're eager to show off what we've done. So are our partners over at Mosaic at the uh, Mosaic Christian Community. They actually have gone so far as they schedule, I think, one or two times a month where they kind of have open to the community, the interested community. They do kind of a tour open house kind of thing. And we haven't gotten that organized. We just sort of handle it one request at a time. And they have kind of consolidated those requests into these um, open houses. And I, and, um, and so they, um, they'd be also a great resource to reach out to. So what is the future for the community as it is right now? So you have three homes. Do you see any more coming up in the the near future? Yep. So, so, Yeah, you you froze there for a moment, but uh, um, uh, the um, future for our settlement, um, we're going to just live into this reality with these three homes. This process is also inspired within our church a broader visioning, exer- you know, process, and we're actually in the midst of a big campus planning initiative, which is sort of like a strategic planning process. Thinking how we are using our ministries in addition to our desire to continue um, working with the homeless population. Um, we we have some other housing related ideas of needs in our community, but also um, we for a long time hosted a daycare and child care development center here in our church. And recently that operator um, shuttered that operation, but the need is still there in our community. Mm-hmm. And so we're wondering if we can still um do something along those lines. Uh, and so there's a bigger planning process underway. And as that develops, we're, we're keeping our imagination open as to about how the t- uh, sacred settlement might continue to grow and expand over time. And so we can't just make full firm commitments that, Oh yeah, we're ready to go to 12 houses tomorrow. Yeah, um, yeah. We want to get some of these other initiatives sort of thought through and, and think about how they all will interrelate uh, o- o- over the long term. All right. Well, thank you, Peter, for this really great interview. And um, I'm hoping that this is a help for people and other churches, um, both here in Minnesota, but across the country that might um, see this as an idea and to start to think about it. Well, it was it's a pleasure to be able to tell this story. You can hopefully tell that I'm pretty passionate about it. I'm <laughs> really pleased that, uh, and I, again, I feel blessed that God has led us in this direction and um, eager to continue uh, uh, seeing if we can invite others along on this journey too. So, All right. Well, Peter, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. You bet. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Yeah. We'll see ya.
But I hope that you enjoyed the interview. As usual, there are links of interest related to this episode with Peter, and that will include information on um, the nonprofit that he talked about, which is Settled, uh, which is based in St. Paul. And thank you uh, again for listening to this episode. And that is it for this episode of Church in Maine. Remember again to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app so that others can find the podcast and consider donating so that we can continue to produce more episodes. I'm Dennis Sanders, your host. Again, thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with uh, family and friends. Take care, everyone. I'm hoping that you're having a good Advent. Godspeed, everyone, and see you soon.